0: Um, My name is Brent. Uh, I am the campus pastor for One Chapel Kyle and it is a great, great pleasure and a joy to be here with all of you today. Uh, Man, everybody in Austin, you look so good. It's so fun to be back. Uh, All our friends in Lake Travis. Great to see you guys. So glad that you're with us today. We are joined by them and my family in uh, One Chapel Kyle. Hello, family down there. Good to see you. So, hey, everybody let's, everybody from every campus, let's give every campus a hand, would you? Come on. Tell them you love them. Tell them they're great. We love you. We're glad you're here, man. Good to see you all. Of course, One Chapel Kyle is the campus that won Falltober this past year. And, so, um, and plan on winning again this year. So um, it's good to... Anyway, it is a real treat to be here. Um, Wonderful to be with all of you. Hey, uh, let's study the scriptures today. Are you ready for that? Yes or no? Say yes. Yes. Great. Um, Let's pray over the word and then we'll get in. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your presence and power in life. We thank you for your authority. We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for who you are and what you're already doing in each of these three rooms here in Austin and in Lake Travis and in Kyle. And Lord, today, all of us, we just surrender to you. And we want you to have your way. I want you to teach us and train us and move in us and help us to become more like you. We love you so much. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. amen. Um, most of you know my father. His name is Ken Parsley. Uh, you guys here in Austin, you know him for sure. Those of you from other campuses, you may have met him a time or two. You may have heard him actually from your campus because he's quite loud. Uh <laughs> And, uh, and he is like salt of the earth guy, right? He is an incredible man, loves people so much. And he's a passionate pastor and discipler of people. And he's always been that way, right? Ever since I've known him, he's been that way uh, my whole life. And, and much before he started preaching at a very early age, I think maybe around 16, he was preaching and sharing the gospel. So it's always been in him. Well, When he was a young man, he he was so zealous. He was driving around one afternoon, and he happened to see a young man walking on the sidewalk, just walking down the side of the road. And something happened in him, and he thought, I need to do something. I need to I need to talk about Jesus. I need to share the gospel with this kid. I think maybe he was a junior high kid. Now, this would not have happened today. So if someone pulls up and you're a junior high kid and they say, Hey, you want to talk? the answer is no, you don't want to do that. But but my dad, he pulled over Rolled down the window and said Hey, excuse me, young man Do you need a ride? The answer is no But this young man, it's a different era The young man said, well, yeah, sure So he gets in the car, off they drive My dad's a little nervous, right? He's a little sweaty He doesn't know because he just knows I need to tell this kid about Jesus I need to lead this kid forward And so he's driving, and he's looking at the kid <sighs> And so by now, the kid's starting to sweat too a little bit. And he's working on his opening line. He doesn't know how to open it exactly. And so he just decides he's going to open with this. And he looks at the kid and he says, are you ready to die? (laughs) Now, Now, that's not a great opening line, first of all. But, you know, his heart was in the right place. He was thinking, hey, if you die today, are you ready to meet the Lord? But it came out, are you ready to die? And, of course, the kid's like, <gasps> <laughs> the kid's totally panicked. And my dad, realizing it was his mistake, he's like, oh, 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 no, 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 wait, wait. And so he pulls over to try to have the conversation so they don't crash. So he pulls over, and he's got a tract inside, you know, those little things that used to tell people about Jesus. He's got one in the glove box. So he starts reaching for the glove box. <laughs> and the kid's like, oh. <sighs> So the kid opens the door, takes off, just bolts down the road and never sees him again. My dad tells that story from time to time and it's really exciting. But you know what? There is a man somewhere in the United States of America telling a story about the day he almost got murdered. (laughs) So, So my question to you is, have you ever had a moment like that? Hopefully not that bad. But have you ever had a moment where you felt like, I, I need to say something. I, I, I want to do something. I've got this friend. I've got this coworker. I've got this person. And I want to share the love of Jesus with them. But you don't know how to do it. And you're sweaty. And you're kind of freaked out about it. Like, I've had moments like this in my life. I remember the first time I was a kid, I don't know, I was probably seven years old. And, and we had a friend that moved in. His name was Brooke, uh, Brooks, and he lived across the street from me. His dog was the brother of my dog, and my dog was Fifi, and his dog was Spike. I know it's adorable. He's, aww, but, but you didn't think that was adorable. Uh, and so we became friends, and we were buds in the neighborhood. And so one day, I was, the I same thing as my dad. It's just in those jeans. And I was like, I got to say something. I got to say something about Jesus. And so I got my courage up, and I marched over across the street, and he was in his garage. He was working on his bike. He had a couple buddies over, too. And I walked in, and I said, Brooks do you know about Jesus? And he said, yes. And I said, okay, thanks a lot. And I just left. I just, <laughs> I just freaked out and, and I walked away and I never said anything else about it. But if you had that kind of an encounter, right? You're so afraid that you're gonna screw it up or, or maybe actually some of you, you've never had a moment like that. Like it's, it's never even really crossed your mind. Like the kid in our student ministry a couple years ago that said to me, uh, hey man, that's, just, that's not my place. Now, I'm not supposed to do that. That's not who I'm supposed to be. And actually, that's an increasingly common thought in our world today. Oh, that's that's not actually for me. In 1993, 89% of Jesus followers believed they had a responsibility to share their faith, right? 89% said, that's what I'm supposed to do. Today, 64% say, yeah, that's true. That's a drop of 25 points, everybody. Less and less people think that this is actually what we're supposed to do as Jesus followers. Today, three out of 10 Christians believe that it's the church's responsibility to lead people to Jesus. Now that seems like an okay number at first, but that's actually a threefold increase from 25 years ago. Of course, those people fail to realize that they are the church. So in essence, yeah, that's true. (laughs) But it's our responsibility. There's an old study that said that 95% of American Christians have never led somebody to Jesus. 95%. 95%. So if that's true, what does that mean? I mean, if that's the reality for us, is that the way that Jesus meant for us to live? If that, is that the way that he meant for all this to go to And, and if so, what, what's the motivation? Like either for or against. If you're in the 95%, what's your motivation in that 95%? Why do you think you shouldn't do that? Or if you're in the 5%, what's your motivation for that? Does it, what does it come out of, your willingness to share your faith? I guess my question is, what's his plan <laughs> What was Jesus' plan? Like, we know it cognitively. We find it in Matthew 28, in verse 18. It says, Then Jesus came to them, and he said, All authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. What's God's plan to find people? To bring people in? What's God's plan for them to experience and know and follow Jesus? Well, it's you. It's me. It's all of us. We are the ones that are supposed to go, but, but that's so hard, isn't it? I mean, am I alone in this? I, I feel like it's, it's so challenging. And actually, honestly, it kind of feels to me like it's getting a little bit harder. Like as time goes on, as culture changes, it feels like it's getting more difficult. as More and more people feel like, well, the church is just a bunch of hypocrites, And the church is really kind of irrelevant for me. Is a popular sentiment today. So today what we're doing is we're starting a series of messages called Just One. And we're going to talk about this idea. What would it look like? What if you actually partnered with God to help lead somebody to Jesus? What if you did that? What would that look like for you? What would happen if all of us started asking God to just reveal just one person that we can begin that conversation with and help lead them to him. I think it'd look a lot like Luke chapter 15. We're gonna start there today. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. If your Bible is on your phone, you can turn on to there and we're gonna read it. Now you've probably heard this chapter a million times and probably a bunch of you could preach it better than I could. But I'm still praying today that Jesus will show us a couple new things and help us figure out what we're supposed to do here. So Luke chapter 15 verse one, it says, "'Now tax collectors and sinners "'were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. I love that word, muttered. They were muttering about this, this guy, Jesus. And so Jesus, he's sitting and he's eating with some people and you've got various groups present. You've got the tax collectors that are there. You've got uh, the regular old sinners. You've got the religious people, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. They're all hanging out. And the Pharisees and the teachers, they don't like that Jesus is doing this. They're upset by it. Jesus, he's hanging out with these these sinners. Like he's upset. They're upset about what he's doing. Now they don't mind him eating with them. That's fine for them. But these sinners, they don't get it. They, they think Jesus, he shouldn't be associating with them. I mean, doesn't, doesn't he care? Look, look, the reality is uh, these people, I, I'm just not sure they're worthy of your time, Jesus. And I'm not sure that, that, that they're that important. They may not be good for your reputation, Jesus. Or maybe they're just, they're actually, they're somebody else's responsibility. Somebody else will take care of that. I don't know. It'd be like um, it'd be like if you walked into a restaurant and you saw Pastor Ross and he was eating lunch with um, I don't I like Hannibal Lecter. Like Hannibal, they're just they're just sitting eating. <laughs> I wonder what was in that lunch. Um, you, you. Some of you are very lost. You don't know, and that's fine. Stay lost. Or or like he's having lunch with um, with he who must not be named. Uh, some of you are Christian. You're Christians. You don't know anything about that. Um, or uh or he's having lunch with Darth Vader, like just, just imagine the worst person imaginable, he's sitting there and having lunch, you're like, what are you doing? Or, or to really bring it home, what if Ross was sitting there with uh, Harvey Weinstein and he was just sitting across the table and they were having lunch? There it is. <laughs> you say, what's, what, what's, what's he doing? Are they just hanging out? Is he condoning his actions? I mean, wh- what's going on? Doesn't he care? Don't, don't they know that they're dirty, heathen sinners, these people? This is what they're thinking. So Jesus, knowing what they're thinking, he launches into these three parables or these three stories. The three stories, their response to what the Pharisees are thinking. And he starts this first story with, suppose one of you and brings it home. So in Luke 15, three through seven, most of you have heard it. It's the parable of the lost sheep. And he says, there's somebody, and suppose one of you, you have a lost sheep. You've got a hundred, one of them wanders away. Wouldn't you go and do everything that you could to find it? And when you did, you grab it and you put it on your shoulders and you carry it home. And when you get home, everybody rejoices with you because that lost sheep is found. I love this story because in this story, the sheep doesn't do anything. It's all on the owner. The sheep just, it's dumb. It just gets lost. I mean, the reality is sheep are dumb. They're just, they're stupid animals. Aren't you glad that Jesus used that so often to describe us? (laughs) He knew what he was doing. And the owner goes and finds it and brings it home and everybody rejoices. Then in verse 8, he tells the story of the lost coin. He says, there was a woman, she had 10 coins. She loses one. And when she does, she tears the whole house apart. She rips it apart. She's looking everywhere and searching until she finds it. And when she finds it, she calls all of her friends and say, hey, I found it. Let's all rejoice. And they throw a big party. The thing that's interesting to me about that is that the coin does nothing. Somebody else actually lost that coin. In these two stories already, Jesus emphasizes the high value of one person, the high, high value to him of just one person. We know he came to seek and to save the lost. That's what he does. That's the work that he does. he pursues the one that gets lost. And whenever the lost one is found, there's a huge celebration and everybody rejoices. And then he tells in verse 11 the story of the prodigal son. We're going to read it together, so buckle up. Here we go. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together. All he had set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. Everybody say wild living. Wild living. Wild. Wild. After he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So this kid's a jerk, right? He's he's a major jerk. He's essentially saying to his father, Dad, I wish you were dead. I want nothing to do with you. I don't want anything to do with my past here. I don't want anything to do with my future here. I just want what's coming to me right that's what he's saying i'm cutting ties with you and i'm leaving now everybody this is despicable this is ugly and awful i mean you got to think about what it really means right there's an older son and so he would probably get two-thirds of the estate as the older son so the younger would get a third and so now he's got to take that money he probably has to sell it because it's probably land and so he's got to sell the land he's got to liquidate it so they can have cash to spend which means now you've got all these weirdos living on your land with you and that's uncomfortable. My family knows a little bit about this because my wife, she's from upstate New York, and her grandpa, they purchased a whole big plot of land, a big campground. And all the brothers, they built log cabins on that land, and they all live there. All of her uncles and her dad, they all built log cabins. They all live there. They're big burly men. I fit in really good. And they, why is that funny? And they... And they made, all these, they made all these, they all live on that land. And, and they're so protective of it as people start kind of encroaching and someone's building a house over here on this side or someone's building a house over here on this side. They get all up in arms and they run out with big signs and they put them down and they, they pound them into the ground. It says, posted, warning, keep out, private property. All over the land just to keep everybody at bay because it's uncomfortable. They've got shotguns and they're, no, they don't have that. They don't. It's awful. In fact, it's such a big deal. that Her last name, her maiden name was Lina. She really took an upgrade, uh, partially. But, um, <laughs> but they actually, they have a sign on everything. They called it Shangri-Lina. <laughs> Isn't that nice? It's nice. It actually is beautiful. I'm off track. Here we go. So, so the sun... He leaves, he spends everything. There's weirdos living on the land. He spends all the money, all of it that he has on wild living. Like, he's buying up all kinds of stuff. He's buying, like, the latest Gucci robes. Like, he's, he's looking super. He's buying all the, the, the turbans of the newest sports team that he loves. I don't know how that works exactly, but he runs out and he buys a Mustang, you know, uh, like one horsepower, because, well, it's a horse, it's a Mustang. And he. he He's buying Yeezy sandals, like like whatever, Yeezy sandals, the whole thing, the latest smart scroll. I don't know what it is, but it's so small, you guys. Look, it fits in my pocket. So he's just buying all this crazy, He spends it all on women and wild living and life, and he's got nothing left. And so the money runs out, the friends leave, a famine hits, and he hires himself out to a citizen of the land. Now, this guy's probably a Gentile, and he's out feeding pigs, which is the worst job that a young Jewish boy could possibly have. It's unclean. He's at the lowest point. He's hungry. He just wants to eat the pods the pigs are eating. And in verse 17, it says, when he came to his senses. That's a big moment, everybody. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out and I'll go back to my father and I'll say to him, father, I sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him and ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And the son said to him, father, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, bring the fattened calf and kill it Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He's lost and is found. And so they begin to celebrate. This guy hits the very bottom of the barrel and the scripture says that he came to his senses. Now that's an important moment that all of us need to have. And some of you are in a position today where you need to have this moment. You just come to your senses. What is this life that I'm living? What what am I doing? He came to his senses, and he, he, he rehearses his I'm sorry speech, and he starts heading for home. This right here, this come to his senses moment, this is his moment of repentance. This is the moment where he says, I'm going to live a different, a different life. And while he was still a long ways off, his father sees him. Now, we don't know what this looks like. We don't know if the father was out every single day, pacing back and forth, eye on the horizon, waiting for his son to show up. We don't know if maybe he was just out there and he happened to be out on that day and looking at the horizon and saw a small figure. The kid would have been a mess. He's got a big, scraggly beard. His hair is all grown out. He's he's wearing rags. He's dirty. He smells bad. But even in that state, his father saw him and he knows him. And the scripture records that he runs out. While he was still a long way off, he ran to his son. You got to understand, this wasn't done, everybody. A wealthy landowner of this age didn't go about running around. In fact, it's still true today, isn't it? Like, when you see a grown man running, don't you get scared? <laughs> like, I, I get afraid. I'm like, why are you running? You're going to hurt yourself. Stop it. <laughs> it's true. Like, my, my, son, my son, he's real competitive, and we were walking out of my office one day, and I, I was like, hey, let's go. And I just took off, and I started running. He's 10, and he was, he's fast. He's fast. And so he's coming up behind me. He's coming up fast. I'm like, oh, no way. Is this little punk going to beat me today? That is not going to happen until he's 15 or 16. So, so I'm running as hard as I can. I'm about to get to the car, which is the goal. And I realize I can't stop. I'm a grown man. I don't know how to stop anymore. My muscles don't work like they used to. And so I just, bam, I just plow into the car. I'm just laid out on it. I'm like, oh, that did not feel good. But I beat you. (laughs) Because grown men don't run. It's important that you get this 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 reckless idea of what this guy is doing: hiking up his robe, tucking his belt, taking off to go see his son. That's how much he loves him. He throws his arms around him. He kisses him, and the son starts his rehearsed speech. Oh, father, I sinned against heaven, and I sinned against you, and I'm so sorry. And the father says, "What? Shh. That's all I need to hear. Quick." Go get a robe and put it on him. Make, he's, he's my family. T- just, just cover up his shame. He's dirty. He's all, his hair's grown out. Put the robe on him. Cover him up. Cover his shame. Go get the ring that signifies our family. Put it on his finger. Because this boy, this is my boy. This is no servant. This is no slave. This is my son. Go grab some sandals and put them on his feet. The servants, they sometimes don't have shoes. My boy has feet. This is my son. Put it on him. I'm going to make sure that it's just like you never left that guy likes it. (laughs) My son was dead. He's alive again. And they began to celebrate, but the story's not over because there's another son, the older son in Luke 15, 25. Now we call this the story of the prodigal son, but really we could call it the story of two lost sons. Let's read it quick. It says in verse 25, meanwhile, the older son was in the field. And when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and he asked him, what's going on? "'Your brother has come,' he replied, "'and your father's killed the fattened calf "'because he has him back safe and sound.' "'The older brother became angry and refused to go in, "'so his father went out and pleaded with him. "'But he answered his father, "'Look, all these years I've been slaving for you "'and never disobeyed your orders. "'Yet you never gave me even a young goat "'so I could celebrate with my friends. "'But when this son of yours, "'who has squandered your property with prostitutes, "'he comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. "'My son,' the father said, "'you're you're always with me, "'and everything I have is yours.' But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. The older brother, he's mad. and He's got good reason to be mad, I think. His younger brother was a despicable fool. He dishonored his father. There's weirdos living next door. Like life has changed because of him. And now he's back and his dad's throwing him a party. The scripture says the older brother refused to go in and so his father went out. Once again, the father goes out. Son, saying, I've been here this whole time. I've been slaving. I've been doing all the right things. Where's my party? Sounds like the religious type, doesn't he? Maybe like the guys who are listening in on this story. I'm the good guy. I follow the rules. He's detestable, and you're celebrating him? I'm here doing the right things. I'm performing for you. I get nothing? Where's my party? And the father essentially says, son, you missed it. Man, you missed it. You have me. You have all that I have. You're my son. I'm not interested in your slaving. I'm not interested in your performance just my son. You have access to everything that I have. You've got the higher and the better thing. But that dude, he was lost and he's found. That kid was dead but he's alive again. Aren't you glad that he came home? Won't you come in and celebrate too? Now preachers like me, we love these stories. And when we preach them, we like to say, "We're the prodigal son." Are you the prodigal? Do you need to come home today? We say, are you the other son? Are you mad about people that are coming in? Are you, you're trying to perform for God? Basically, we talk about it like this. We say, hey, in this story, you find yourselves. These sons, they are pretty much idiots, both of them. Big time losers. Which one are you? (laughs) And actually, that's a good question for us to ask ourselves today. And I think probably today we will. And I bet as I tell the story that you can find yourself in it. But what, what if this story is not even about those two sons. What if if it's not the parable of the prodigal son? What if it's not the parable of the two lost sons? What if this is the parable of the father who runs? The parable of the father who goes out? The parable of the father who has his eyes scanning the horizon, just waiting for one lost one to return? The story is ultimately not about how lost the sons are, This story is about how loving the Father is. This story is about the never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love of the Father who goes and chases down the one who is lost, no matter how he or she gets lost. That's what Jesus is saying. The big message of Luke chapter 15, Henry Nouwen, the author, he sums it up this way, and I think it's so good. He says, You may be the prodigal son, you may be the older brother but we're all called to be the father. We think we're the sons and we hear the story and that's what we immediately say, oh yeah, oh, that's like me, I gotta come up. Oh yeah, I, I identify with that. I, I identify with the coin, that's me. Somebody did something and hurt me and I got lost. Or even here today, like, oh, I'm the sheep. I don't even really know much about this. I'm just kinda out here wondering what's going on with my life. We identify with those things as we should, but, but we think we're the sons when Jesus is just asking us to be the father. Regardless of where you find yourself today, Jesus is asking, will you be the father? Some of us are the sheep, and we're lost, and we get distracted, squirrel. We just, we're, we just, we can't help it. We, we just, we're so sidetracked by everything. Some of us are the coin. Some of us are the prodigal. Some of us are the older son, slaving away, trying to perform and earn God's love and do the right thing. We're mad when people are coming to the church. You're messing this place up. Got your tattoos on. The great news the great news is that regardless of who you are today God loves you and he wants you found. He wants you home. He wants you to come home and you can have a come to your senses moment at any time. You could do it here today and it would be awesome. But this isn't all he wants. That's not the end. Because he wants us to come home and then he wants to know are you willing to receive the father's heart for just one? Are you willing to take the next step to become like the father? Are you willing to be the one who searches? Are you willing to be the one that tears the place apart to go and find them? Are you willing to be the one who scans the horizon waiting for them? Are you willing to leave the party and go out from where you are, the safety, and walk out and go to them that need you? Are you willing to do that? That's the real point of these stories. Remember why Jesus started telling the stories in the first place because the Pharisees were muttering about him hanging out with sinners. And Jesus shows them how much God loves and chases down just one person that gets lost. Even the religious people who think they're right, but they're wrong. Jesus just wanted them to know God is a loving father and he's chasing just one. He is the good shepherd who goes after the sheep. He is like the woman who tears apart the house. He's like the father who goes after his lost sons. And today, one chapel, he just wants to know Will you be him too? Will you do it? Are you willing to accept that kind of a heart for the lost? And you got to understand, this is a big, big deal to him. And we know it's a big deal. Why? Because he throws a party after every story. In every one of these stories, there is a massive celebration because when the lost are found, heaven throws a party. (laughs) And we should be throwing parties too. We can't overlook this because every story ends with it. And I'm not talking about like a kid's eighth, eighth grade birthday party, you know, like, a, like there's some balloons and a little cake and, and like a scary clown, because clowns are scary. Like, <laughs> I'm not talking about that kind of a party. I'm talking about like, I don't know, I'm not, I'm not good at this, but like a, like a Beyonce level, like, like <laughs> over the top, like, like Taylor Swift, Justin, like a Kardashian party. Like I'm talking about, I'm talking about some of you, like, oh yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about now. I, like a bit, like, like a big party. Heaven is celebrating about this. Why is this such a big deal? Because some of us, we, we think about repentance, and I, I need to come home, and we hesitate thinking, what is God going to say when I come back? He's giving you the picture. I'm going to wrap my arms around you. I'm going to give you a robe. I'm going to put a ring on your finger. I'm going to put sandals on your feet. I'm going to say, it's just like you never left. And we think about, what if I was to step out of my comfort zone and kind of tell the story to somebody? And we get scared and fearful and we hesitate and we're not sure what to do. What's God going to do? Is he going to be there? Yes, because he loves this. He rejoices. He celebrates. Jesus himself is telling how God responds to repentance. He rejoices in it. He loves people so much. Heaven is just waiting. They're just waiting to throw them a party. It's interesting to me because Luke 15, it says that there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. There's rejoicing in the presence of the angels. Isn't that kind of an interesting phrase? Like, just think about this with me for a second. Could it be, everybody, that when this happens, when somebody repents and comes home, that God himself rejoices? Could it be that the roles kind of get reversed and where all the angels worshiping constantly? Could it be that maybe because it's in the presence of the angels, could it be that the angels fall silent for a moment while God himself stands up from the throne and says, yeah, that's my boy. That's my girl. Come on home. I've just been waiting for you. And all of heaven erupts in glorious jubilation because one person came home. Come on home and let's go get some others. Our desire to lead someone to Jesus, it should spring out of this idea, I think. There's so much fear. There's so much worry. There's so much doubt. There's so much, I don't don't know how to do this. What would I say? How would I go about this? It's hard for me to take the first step. You just got to remember, God loves people. God loves you. And he parties hard when they get found. <laughs> this, this thing that we're talking about and that we're entering into, it, it's not religious obligation. It's not out of duty. Be a good little Christian and go perform and go win somebody to Jesus. Good luck out there by yourself. No, 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 no. This is an overflow of God's love just pouring out of you onto people. I just wanna throw parties. So if we're gonna do this, let's wrap this up kind of practically. We'll just kind of start, we'll we'll take the turn, we'll kind of start down the practical road. Just a few things. Practical ways that you can prepare for the party. The first thing I think is you just accept personal responsibility. That's kind of my goal here today. You accept personal responsibility for this. If we believe this story that Jesus is telling, And if we believe that the gospel is actually true, then it demands that we do something about it. It just demands that we take it into account and we take it seriously. We do have a responsibility, I think, here. And everybody, nobody else is coming. We are the generation that are here right now. We're the ones that have the opportunity to be able to do this. And if we miss out on it, we're missing part of our purpose as Jesus followers. And if, and if we don't say yes to it, I think we're probably, we're, we're causing other people to miss out on their purpose in life. But it's not obligation, it's delight. And it's empowered by the Spirit of God. And He will help you every step of the way as his overflow of love comes out of you. That reckless love, that old grown man running towards the car, <laughs> that stuff just pours out of you on people. The second thing that maybe you could think about today is you just start building a personal relationship. Build a personal relationship. Just start with somebody. And this is important. Please hear this because people are not evangelistic projects for us to work on. People are people that God loves. They are friends and family and coworkers. They are human beings. They are not projects. They're people. And chances are that we all have at least one person One person that we could begin to have the conversation with. One person that we know they need the Father's love. What would happen in one chapel? What would happen if we all just decided to intentionally be friends with one person and start them on the journey and lead them towards Christ? What would that look like? Think about it for you personally. What would that look like for you if you were just to begin that journey and building that relationship? And think about this. What would our church look like after three, six months, a year, when all of us did about a thousand of us around probably sitting in church today what would happen if all of us did that one year later what would one chapel look like what would the austin region look like this is not obligation this is possibility the third thing is you just share your personal story just share share it talk to somebody about it everybody loves a good story don't you I love a good story. Our bookshelves are full of them. Uh, We watch movies all the time. My kids and I, we're going through the Lord of the Rings right now, so through the books, before we watch the movie, my wife has a very strict rule. Got to read the book first, and my kids hate it. But but we're going through the Fellowship of the Ring, and we're all just engrossed in this story. It's just, it draws you in. You can't believe how incredible this thing is, and you just get pulled into it. Now, most of us, we love that, but we think, (laughs) But my my life's not like that. There's no ring of power in my story. There's no Mount Doom in my well. Maybe there is. There's no. My story's not interesting. Listen, that's that's a lie. It's not true. When you tell the story of what Jesus has done in you, it's just it's alive. It's power. It's transformation. And when the Holy Spirit gets involved in it and helps you, say man, incredible things start to happen. Stop saying I don't have an interesting story. You do. Your story and it connecting with Jesus story, it is the second greatest story that's ever been told. <laughs> so just start working on it. When was the last time you did it? When's the last time you actually told your story to somebody? You sat down across from coffee or a coworker in the cubicle, "Yo, what's up? I got to tell you something." Like when's the last time you did something like that? We start to think, oh, but I, I, I couldn't do that. I, I, don't know, I don't know all the theology. I didn't go to, to seminary. I don't know, what if they ask me a question? Don't worry about it. Just start saying, this is what Jesus has done in my life. And I believe he could do the same in your life. It's not that hard. You just start telling the story. Now, over the, the next couple of weeks, we're going to kind of work on this. We'll help you. We'll kind of figure it out together. We can do it. And the fourth thing, the final thing, is I think you just give a personal invitation to somebody. You give a personal invitation. You invite somebody into the story. Go hang out. Go, go grab a cup of coffee. Like go, go do something. Have, have, a, have them over. Eat a meal together. And while you're doing that, you just live a good and compelling story of what Jesus has done in your life. Just shine brightly for them. And then if, you, if that's still too hard for you, tell you what, why don't you try this? Just invite them to church on a Sunday. You just start by saying this. Hey, listen, I go to this place on Sunday. It's called One Chapel. They're a little weird. Um, there's a, like a Jojo the Idiot Circus Boy and Kyle, but you can come with me to Austin. And, and, and I, just, I just want you to come and hang out with me. It's a great church. We do stuff in the Austin region. Like we, we, just, we just went to, uh, from here in Austin, we just went to Sunset Valley Elementary this weekend and we helped clean up. We did a bunch of stuff at that school. They gave a, a bunch of money to a bunch of teachers in elementary schools across the region and changed their lives over the holiday season. Like it was amazing. Like it's just a cool place and I really like it. Why don't you come hang out with me? In our current culture, we can be really afraid to just say anything, can we? I'm just afraid to say anything about it. But maybe that first step is just saying, hey, I go to church and I love it. I go to this church and I love it. I'm so proud of my church. My church is so great. We really help people. We love to serve. My church is a place of community. It's a place where people really get connected. My church is a place where we worship Jesus. It's it's awesome. Like just own it. Most of us walk around and people say, "Hey, what are you doing on Sunday?" Oh, ah, uh, 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 See you later, right? <laughs> just own it. I'm going to church. You want to come? Owning that fact, owning the fact that you go to church, it just automatically opens up spiritual conversations. So maybe you just start. If if you're like, I don't know what to do, man, start with this. Just start saying, I love my church. Just let that be the heartbeat that you go into conversations with. Hey, I love my church, and just invite them along. Why don't you close your eyes? At the end of Luke chapter 15, we're kind of left with this cliffhanger. We don't know if the son actually went in or not. Was he willing to celebrate? Was he willing to be a part of the celebration for his lost brother? And it's a cliffhanger because Luke wants us to think about it. Who am I going to be? What am I going to do? i think the sad reality is there's always going to be an older brother that's kind of standing on the porch kind of mad about the things that are happening but one chapel we don't have to let that be us so my question today is are you ready and willing to participate in pursuing just one are you willing to open up your life to begin that journey with us and with jesus Do, do we have room do we have room in our homes for them do we have room in our church for them? Are we willing to chase them? Are, are we willing to be committed? Like are we even in, are we that interested? Are we are we ready to go? Can we take our eyes off of ourselves long enough to to actually see them? Are we willing to take the step out and act, actually have a conversation, and say something? Are we willing to invite them to church or to our home? Are we willing to embrace their dirt? are we willing, we truly welcome them home? Hey, One Chapel, what if you actually partnered with God to lead one person to Jesus over the course of the next several months? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be fulfilling everything that God's called you to? And this is what we're here for. One Chapel, it has to be a place where people can be completely accepted for who they are. Challenge to become all that God wants them to be. That's what we want to do. So it's time to ask yourself quickly, who am I in the story? So, with your eyes closed and heads bowed, would you just, just for a second, would you ask yourself, who am I in the story? Am I like the sheep? Like, I'm just, I'm just kind of out here on my own. I don't even know what's going on, but this sounds like the right deal for me. I'd, I'd like to get rescued, I'd like for somebody to bring me home. You can do that today by saying yes to Jesus. Are you the coin today? Are you, has someone done something to you and you've been misplaced? You've been wounded, hurt, abused. Something has gone wrong. Is that you today? You can come home. You can be found. Are you the younger son? Have you, have you kind of rejected God and said, I, you know what? I don't want anything to do with this. And you found that life hasn't worked out the way that you thought it would. And today you're having a come to your senses moment and you're ready to come home. Or maybe you're the older son and you've been trying to perform and earn God's love and respect and care. And it doesn't work that way. He's just saying, hey, I just want you to know you're my son, you're my daughter. I just love you for who you are. Probably across the rooms today, in Lake Travis and Kyle here in Austin, all those people are represented. And if you would, I just wanna ask you to respond to it. If you find yourself in one of those positions as one of those people, one of those items, would you, would you maybe just slip your hand up just quickly, just slip it up and put it back down? It's, it's not for me, it's for you. It's you saying to God, this, I'm coming to my senses. Yeah, come on, all over the room, that's good. Yeah, good for you. Who else? Good for you. And Lake Travis, good for you. And Kyle, good for you. Just slip your hand up and put it back down. That's good. Anybody else want to join us? We're going to pray together. Anybody else? Come on, let's pray. And and all of you, just kind of pray this with me in your heart. Heavenly Father, I surrender to you again. I'm sorry. I've run away. I've been distant. I've been trying to live my own way, and it is not working out. And today, I'm coming to my senses, and I'm coming home. Would you forgive me for my sins? Would you forgive me for my rebellion? Would you allow forgiveness to fill my heart for those that have hurt me? And would you throw your arms around me and receive me again as the loving father that I'm learning you are? I give my life to you again. Thank you for welcoming me home in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. And then finally, for the rest of us, We're kind of entering into a journey here as one chapel. So I want to know if you're willing to take it with us. Are you willing to go along? Are you willing to allow the Father's heart to fill you and push you forward? Are you willing to run? Are you willing to tear houses apart? (laughs) Are you willing to have the conversations? So just where you are, just between you and God, I just want you to respond to him. And I just want you to say, God, that's me. I don't know how I'm going to do it <laughs> ah, it freaks me out I don't know but I'm willing right now I want to receive your heart for just one so if that's you just tell him right now God that's me do something in me so heavenly father all over this room I pray in Jesus name and Kyle and Lake Travis here in Austin that you would allow the father's heart to fill every one of We open up our lives to receive it So much so that it begins to overflow in us And it pushes out our fear and our worry And our doubt and our anxiety And out of the overflow We just begin to have the conversation Because it just becomes fire in my bones I can't hold it in anymore Because you are so good So Jesus, across these three rooms today We're making some party preparations And would you help us as we do it? We commit this to you, we love you, we bless you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And across all campuses, everybody said, amen.